Part 1 from A. D. June 19, 1745 T.O. Nov. 4th, at Cross Wixung in Forks of Delaware. Cross Wixung, in New Jersey, June, 1745. June 19th. Having spent most of my time for more than a year past amongst the Indians in the Forks of Delaware and Pennsylvania. And having in that time made two journeys to Susquehanna River, far back in that province, in order to treat with the Indians there, respecting Christianity and not having had any considerable appearance of special success in either of those places, which damped my spirits, and was not a little discouraging to me. Upon hearing that there was a number of Indians in and about a place called by the Indians Crosswakesung in New Jersey, near fourscore miles southeastward from the forks of Delaware, I determined to make them a visit, and see what might be done towards the Christianizing of them. And accordingly arrived among them this day. I found very few persons at the place I visited, and perceived the Indians in these parts were very much scattered, there being not more than two or three families in a place, and these small settlements six, ten, fifteen, twenty, and thirty miles, and some more, from the place I was then at. However, I preached to those few I found, who appeared well disposed, and not inclined to object and cavil, as the Indians had frequently done elsewhere. When I had concluded my discourse, I informed them there being none but a few women and children that I would willingly visit them again the next day. Whereupon they readily set out, and traveled ten or fifteen miles, in order to give notice to some of their friends at that distance. These women, like the woman of St. Maria, seemed desirous that others might see the man that told them what they had done in their lives past, and the misery that attended their idolatrous ways. June 20th visited and preached to the Indians again as I proposed. Numbers more were gathered at the invitations of their friends, who heard me the day before. These also appeared as attentive, orderly, and well disposed as the others. And none made any objection, as Indians in other places have usually done. June 22nd. Preached to the Indians again. Their number, which at first consisted of about seven or eight persons, was now increased to near thirty. There was not only a solemn attention among them, but some considerable impressions, it was apparent, were made upon their minds by divine truths. Some began to feel their misery and perishing state, and appeared concerned for a deliverance from it. Lord's Day, June 23rd. Preached to the Indians, and spent the day with them. Their numbers still increased. And all with one consent seemed to rejoice in my coming among them. Not a word of opposition was heard from any of them against Christianity, although in times past they had been as opposite to anything of that nature, as any Indians whatsoever. And some of them not many months before, were enraged with my interpreter, because he attempted to teach them something of Christianity. June 24th. Preached to the Indians at their desire, and upon their own motion. To see poor pagans desirous of hearing the gospel of Christ, animated me to discourse to them, although I was now very weakly, and my spirits much exhausted. They attended with the greatest seriousness and diligence. And there was some concern for their soul salvation apparent among them. June 27th. Visited and preached to the Indians again. Their number now amounted to about forty persons. Their solemnity and attention still continued and a considerable concern for their souls became very apparent among sundry of them. June 28th. 
the Indians being now gathered, a considerable number of them, from their several and distant habitations, requested me to preach twice a day to them, being desirous to hear as much as they possibly could while I was with them. I cheerfully complied with their motion, and could not but admire the goodness of God, who, I was persuaded, had inclined them thus to inquire after the way of salvation. June 29th. Preached again twice to the Indians. Saw, as I thought, the hand of God very evidently, and in a manner somewhat remarkable, making provision for their subsistence together, in order to their being instructed in divine things. For this day and the day before, with only walking a little way from the place of our daily meeting, they killed three deer, which were a seasonable supply for their wants, and without which, it seems, they could not have subsisted together in order to attend the means of grace. Lord's Day, June 30th. Preached twice this day also. Observed yet more concern and affection among the poor heathens than ever. So that they even constrained me to tarry yet longer with them. Although my constitution was exceedingly worn out, and my health much impaired by my late fatigues and labors, and especially by my late journey to Susquehanna in May last, in which I lodged on the ground for several weeks together July 1st, preached again twice to a very serious and attentive assembly of Indians, they having now learned to attend the worship of God with Christian decency in all respects. They were now between forty and fifty, persons of them present, old and young. I spent some considerable time in discoursing with them in a more private way, inquiring of them what they remembered of the great truths that had been taught them from day to day. And they justly say, it was amazing to see how they had received and retained the instructions given them, and what a measure of knowledge some of them had acquired in a few days. July 2nd. Was obliged to leave these Indians at Cross Wixung, thinking it my duty, as soon as health would admit, again to visit those at the Forks of Delaware. When I came to take leave of them, and spoke something particularly to each of them, they all earnestly inquired when I would come again, and expressed a great desire of being further instructed. And of their own accord agreed, that when I should come again, they would all meet and live together during my continuance with them. And that they would do their utmost endeavors to gather all the Indians in these parts that were yet further remote. And when I parted, one told me with many tears, she wished God would change her heart another, that she wanted to find Christ and an old man that had been one of their chiefs, wept bitterly with concern for his soul. I then promised them to return as speedily as my health and business elsewhere would admit, and felt not a little concerned at parting, lest the good impressions then apparent upon numbers of them, might decline and wear off, when the means came to cease. And yet could not but hope that he who, I trusted, had begun a good work among them, and who I knew did not stand in need of means to carry it on, would maintain and promote it. At the same time I must confess, that I had often seen encouraging appearances among the Indians elsewhere prove wholly abortive. And it appeared the favor would be so great, if God should now, after I had passed through so considerable a series of almost fruitless labors and fatigues, and after my rising hopes had been so often frustrated among these poor pagans, give me any special success in my labors with them. I could not believe, and scarce dared to hope, that the event would be so happy, and scarce ever found myself more suspended between hope and fear, in any affair, or at any time, than this. This encouraging disposition and readiness to receive instruction, now apparent among these Indians, 
seems to have been the happy effect of the conviction that one or two of them met with some time since at the Forks of Delaware, who have since endeavored to show their friends the evil of idolatry, etc. And although the other Indians seemed but little to regard, but rather to deride them, yet this, perhaps, has put them into a thinking posture of mind, or at least, given them some thoughts about Christianity, and excited in some of them a curiosity to hear, and so made way for the present encouraging attention. An apprehension that this might be the case here, has given me encouragement that God may in such a manner bless the means I have used with Indians in other places, where there is as yet no appearance of it. If so, may his name have the glory of it. For I have learned by experience that he only can open the ear, engage the attention, and incline the heart of poor benighted, prejudiced pagans to receive instruction. Forks of Delaware, in Pennsylvania, July, 1745. Lord's Day, July 14th. Discourse to the Indians twice, several of whom appeared concerned, and were, I have reason to think, in some measure convinced by the divine spirit of their sin and misery so that they wept much the whole time of divine service. Afterwards discourse to a number of white people then present. July 18th. Preach to my people, who attended diligently, beyond what had been common among these Indians and some of them appeared concerned for their souls. Lord's Day, July 21st. Preached to the Indians first, then to a number of white people present, and in the afternoon to the Indians again. Divine truth seemed to make very considerable impressions upon several of them, and caused the tears to flow freely. Afterwards I baptized my interpreter and his wife, who were the first I baptized among the Indians. They are both persons of some experimental knowledge in religion. Have both been awakened to a solemn concern for their souls. Have to appearance been brought to a sense of their misery and undone this in themselves. Have both appeared to be comforted with divine consolations and it is apparent both have passed a great, and I cannot but hope a saving, change. It may perhaps be satisfactory and agreeable that I should give some brief relation of the man's exercise and experience since he has been with me, especially seeing he is employed as my interpreter to others when I first employed him in this business in the beginning of summer, 1744, he was well fitted for his work in regard of his acquaintance with the Indian and English language, as well as with the manners of both nations and in regard of his desire that the Indians should conform to the customs and manners of the English, and especially to their manner of living. But he seemed to have little or no impression of religion upon his mind, and in that respect was very unfit for his work, being incapable of understanding and communicating to others many things of importance. So that I labored under great disadvantages in addressing the Indians, for want of his having an experimental, as well as more doctrinal, acquaintance with divine truths. And, at times, my spirits sunk and were much discouraged under this difficulty, especially when I observed that divine truths made little or no impressions upon his mind for many weeks together. He indeed behaved soberly after I employed him, although before he had been a hard drinker, and seemed honestly engaged as far as he was capable in the performance of his work. And especially he appeared very desirous that the Indians should renounce their heathenish notions and practices and conform to the customs of the Christian world. But still he seemed to have no concern about his own soul, till he had been with me a considerable time. Near the latter end of July, 1744, I preached to an assembly of white people, 
with more freedom and fervency than I could possibly address the Indians with, without their having first attained a greater measure of doctrinal knowledge. At this time he was present, and was somewhat awakened to a concern for his soul. So that the next day he discoursed freely with me about his spiritual concerns, and gave me an opportunity to use further endeavors to fasten the impressions of his perishing state upon his mind and I could plainly perceive for some time after this, that he addressed the Indians with more concern and fervency than he had formerly done. But these impressions seemed quickly to decline, and he remained in a great measure careless and secure, until some time late in the fall of the year following, at which time he fell into a weak and languishing state of body and continued much disordered for several weeks together. At this season divine truth took hold of him, and made deep impressions upon his mind. He was brought under great concern for his soul, and his exercise was not now transient and unsteady, but constant and abiding, so that his mind was burdened from day to day. And it was now his great inquiry, what he should do to be saved. His spiritual trouble prevailed, till at length his sleep, in a measure, departed from him and he had little rest day or night, but walked about under a great pressure of mind, for he was still able to walk, and appeared like another man to his neighbors, who could not but observe his behavior with wonder. After he had been some time under this exercise, while he was striving to obtain mercy, he says, there seemed to be an impassable mountain before him. He was pressing towards heaven, as he thought, but his way was hedged up with thorns, that he could not stir an inch further. He looked this way and that way, but could find no way at all. He thought, if he could but make his way through these thorns and briars, and climb up the first steep pitch of the mountain, that then there might be hope for him. But no way or means could he find to accomplish this. Here he labored for a time, but all in vain. He saw it was impossible, he says, for him ever to help himself through this insupportable difficulty. He felt it signified nothing it signified just nothing at all for him to strive and struggle any more. And here, he says, he gave over striving, and felt that it was a gone case with him, as to his own power, and that all his attempts were, and forever would be, vain and fruitless. And yet was more calm and composed under this view of things, than he had been while striving to help himself. While he was giving me this account of his exercise, I was not without fears that what he related was but the working of his own imagination, and not the effect of any divine illumination of mind. But before I had time to discover my fears, he added, that at this time he felt himself in a miserable and perishing condition. That he saw plainly what he had been doing all his days, and that he had never done one good thing, as he expressed it. He knew, he said, he was not guilty of some wicked actions that he knew some others guilty of. He had not been used to steal, quarrel, and murder. The latter of which vices are common among the Indians. He likewise knew that he had done many things that were right. He had been kind to his neighbors, etc. But still his cry was, that he had never done one good thing. I knew, said he, that I had not been so bad as some others in some things, and that I had done many things which folks call good. But all this did me no good now. I saw that all was bad, and that I never had done one good thing. Meaning that he had never done anything from a right principle, and with a right view, though he had done many things that were materially good and right. And now I thought, said he, that I must sink down to hell, that there was no hope for me, because I never could do anything that was good.
and if God let me alone never so long, and I should try never so much, still I should do nothing but what is bad, etc. This further account of his exercise satisfied me that it was not the mere working of his imagination, since he appeared so evidently to die to himself, and to be divorced from a dependence upon his own righteousness, and good deeds, which mankind in a fallen state are so much attached to, and inclined to hope for salvation upon. There was one thing more in his view of things at this time that was very remarkable. He not only saw, he says, what a miserable state he himself was in, but he likewise saw the world around him, in general, were in the same perishing circumstances, notwithstanding the profession many of Thorne made of Christianity, and the hope they entertained of obtaining everlasting happiness. And this he saw clearly, as if he was now awaked out of sleep, or had a cloud taken from before his eyes. He saw that the life he had lived was the way to eternal death, that he was now on the brink of endless misery and when he looked round, he saw multitudes of others who had lived the same life with himself, persons who had no more goodness than he, and yet dreamed that they were safe enough, as he had formerly done. He was fully persuaded by their conversation and behavior, that they had never felt their sin and misery, as he now felt his. After he had been for some time in this condition, sensible of the impossibility of his helping himself by anything he could do, or of being delivered by any created arm, so that he had given up all for lost, as to his own attempts, and was become more calm and composed. Then, he says, it was borne in upon his mind as if it had been audibly spoken to him, there is hope, there is hope. Whereupon his soul seemed to rest and be in some measure satisfied, though he had no considerable joy. He cannot here remember distinctly any views he had of Christ, or give any clear account of his soul's acceptance of him, which makes his experience appear the more doubtful, and renders it less satisfactory to himself and others, than it might be, if he could remember distinctly the apprehensions and actings of his mind at the season. But these exercises of soul were attended and followed with a very great change in the man, so that it might justly be said, he was become another man, if not a new man. His conversation and deportment were much altered, and even the careless world could not but admire what had befallen him to make so great a change in his temper, discourse, and behavior. And especially there was a surprising alteration in his public performances. He now addressed the Indians with admirable fervency, and scarce knew when to leave off and sometimes when I had concluded my discourse, and was returning homeward, he would tarry behind to repeat and inculcate what had been spoken. His change is abiding, and his life, so far as I know, unblemished to this day, though it is now more than six months since he experienced this change. In which space of time he has been as much exposed to strong drink, as possible, in divers places where it has been moving free as water. And yet has never, that I know of, discovered any hankering desire after it. He seems to have a very considerable experience of spiritual exercise and discourses feelingly of the conflicts and consolations of a real Christian. His heart echoes to the soul-humbling doctrine of grace, and he never appears better pleased than when he hears of the absolute sovereignty of God, and the salvation of sinners in a way of mere free grace. He has likewise of late had more satisfaction respecting his own state, has been much enlivened and assisted in his work, so that he has been a great comfort to me and upon a view and strict observation of a serious and sovereign conversation, his Christian temper, and unblemished behavior for so considerable a time, 
as well as his experience I have given an account of, I think that I have reason to hope that he has created a new in Christ Jesus to good works. His name is Moses Tindatadamai. He is about 50 years of age, and is pretty well acquainted with the pagan notions and customs of his countrymen, and so is the better able now to expose them. He has, I am persuaded, already been, and I trust will yet be, a blessing to the other Indians. July 23rd. Preached to the Indians, but had few hearers those who are constantly at home seem of late to be under some serious impressions of a religious nature. July 26th. Preached to my people, and afterwards baptized my interpreter's children. Lord's Day, July 28th. Preached again, and perceived my people, at least some of them, more thoughtful than ever about their soul's concerns. I was told by some, that their seeing my interpreter and others baptized, made them more concerned than anything they had ever seen or heard before. There was indeed a considerable appearance of divine power amongst them when that ordinance was administered. May that divine influence spread and increase more abundantly. July 30th. Discourse to a number of my people, and gave them some particular advice and direction, being now about to leave them for the present, in order to renew my visit to the Indians in New Jersey. They were very attentive to my discourse, and earnestly desirous to know when I designed to return to them again. Cross Weeksung, in New Jersey, August, 1745. August 3rd. I visited the Indians in these parts in June last, and tarried with them some considerable time, preaching almost daily at which season God was pleased to pour upon them a spirit of awakening and concern for their souls, and surprisingly to engage their attention to divine truths. I now found them serious, and a number of them under deep concern for an interest in Christ. Their convictions of their sinful and perishing state having, in my absence from them, been much promoted by the labors and endeavors of the Reverend Mr. William Tennant, to whom I had advised them to apply for direction, and whose house they frequented much while I was gone. I preached to them this day with some view to Rev. 22.17. And whosoever will, let him take the water of life freely though I could not pretend to handle the subject methodically among them. The Lord, I am persuaded, enabled me, in a manner somewhat uncommon, to set before them the Lord Jesus Christ as a kind and compassionate Savior, inviting distressed and perishing sinners to accept everlasting mercy. And a surprising concern soon became apparent among them. There were about twenty adult persons together, many of the Indians at remote places not having as yet had time to come since my return hither, and not above two that I could see with dry eyes. Some were much concerned, and discovered vehement longings of soul after Christ, to save them from the misery they felt and feared. Lord's Day, August 4th. Being invited by a neighboring minister to assist in the administration of the Lord's Supper, I complied with his request, and took the Indians along with me. And not only those that were together the day before, but many more that were coming to hear me. So that there were near fifty in all, old and young. They attended the several discourses of the day, and some of them that could understand English, were much affected, and all seemed to have their concern in some measure raised. Now a change in their manners began to appear very visible in the evening when they came to sup together, they would not taste a morsel till they had sent to me to come and ask a blessing on their food at which time sundry of them wept, especially when I minded them how they had in times past eat their feasts in honor to devils and neglected to thank God for them. 
August 5th. After a sermon had been preached by another minister, I preached, and concluded the public work of the solemnity from John 7:37. In the last day, etc. and in my discourse addressed the Indians in particular, who sat by themselves in a part of the house. At which time one or two of them were struck with deep concern, as they afterwards told me, who had been little affected before others had their concern increased to a considerable degree in the evening the greater part of them being at the house where I lodged I discoursed to them, and found them universally engaged about their soul's concerns, inquiring, what they should do to be saved. And all their conversation among themselves turned upon religious matters, in which they were much assisted by my interpreter, who was with them day and night. This day there was one woman, who had been much concerned for her soul, ever since she first heard me preach in June last, who obtained comfort, I trust, solid and well-grounded she seemed to be filled with love to Christ, at the same time behaved humbly and tenderly, and appeared afraid of nothing so much as of grieving and offending him whom her soul loved. August 6th in the morning I discoursed to the Indians at the house where I lodged many of them were then much affected, and appeared surprisingly tender, so that a few words about their soul's concerns would cause the tears to flow freely, and produce many sobs and groans in the afternoon, they being returned to the place where I had usually preached amongst them, I again discoursed to them there. There were about fifty-five persons in all, about forty that were capable of attending divine service with understanding. I insisted upon 1 John 4:10. Herein is love, etc. They seemed eager of hearing. But there appeared nothing very remarkable, except their attention, till near the close of my discourse. And then divine truths were attended with a surprising influence, and produced a great concern among them. There was scarce three and forty that could refrain from tears and bitter cries. They all, as one, seemed in an agony of soul to obtain an interest in Christ. And the more I discoursed of the love and compassion of God in sending His Son to suffer for the sins of men, and the more I invited them to come and partake of His love, the more their distress was aggravated, because they felt themselves unable to come. It was surprising to see how their hearts seemed to be pierced with the tender and melting invitations of the gospel, when there was not a word of terror spoken to them. There were this day two persons that obtained relief and comfort, which when I came to discourse with them particularly appeared solid, rational, and scriptural. After I had inquired into the grounds of their comfort, and said many things I thought proper to them, I asked them what they wanted God to do further for them. They replied, they wanted Christ should wipe their hearts quite clean, etc. Surprising were now the doings of the Lord, that I can say no less of this day and I need say no more of it than that the arm of the Lord was powerfully and marvelously revealed in it. August 7th. Preached to the Indians from Isaiah 53 3. There was a remarkable influence attending the word, and great concern in the assembly. But scarce equal to what appeared the day before, that is, not quite so universal. However, most were much affected, and many in great distress for their souls. And some few could neither go nor stand, but lay flat on the ground, as if pierced at heart, crying incessantly for mercy. Several were newly awakened, and it was remarkable, that as fast as they came from remote places round about, the Spirit of God seemed to seize them with concern for their souls. After public service was concluded, I found two persons more that had newly met with comfort, of whom I had good hopes and a third that I could not but entertain some hopes of, whose case did not appear so clear as the other.
so that here were now six in all that had got some relief from their spiritual distresses, and five whose experience appeared very clear and satisfactory. And it is worthy of remark, that those who obtain comfort first, were in general deeply affected with concern for their souls, when I preached to them in June last. August 8th in the afternoon I preached to the Indians. Their number was about 65 persons, men, women, and children I discoursed from Luke 14:16-23 and was favored with uncommon freedom in my discourse. There was much visible concern among them while I was discoursing publicly. But afterwards when I spoke to one and another more particularly, whom I perceived under much concern, the power of God seemed to descend upon the assembly like a rushing mighty wind, and with an astonishing energy bore down all before it. I stood amazed at the influence that seized the audience almost universally, and could compare it to nothing more aptly than the irresistible force of a mighty torrent or swelling deluge, that with its insupportable weight and pressure bears down and sweeps before it whatever is in its way. Almost all persons of all ages were bowed down with concern together, and scarce one was able to withstand the shock of this surprising operation. Old men and women who had been drunken wretches for many years, and some little children not more than six or seven years of age, appeared in distress for their souls, as well as persons of middle age. And it was apparent these children some of them at least were not merely frighted with seeing the general concern, but were made sensible of their danger, time badness of their hearts, and their misery without Christ, as some of them expressed it. The most stubborn hearts were now obliged to bow. A principal man among the Indians, who before was most secure and self-righteous, and thought his state good because he knew more than the generality of the Indians had formerly done, and who with a great degree of confidence the day before, told me he had been a Christian more than ten years, was now brought under solemn concern for his soul, and wept bitterly. Another man advanced in years, who had been a murderer, a paolo, or conjurer, and a notorious drunkard, was likewise brought now to cry for mercy with many tears, and to complain much that he could be no more concerned when he saw his danger so very great. They were almost universally praying and crying for mercy in every part of the house, and many out of doors, and numbers could neither go nor stand. Their concern was so great, each one for himself, that none seemed to take any notice of those about them, but each prayed freely for himself. And, I am led to think, they were to their own apprehension as much retired as if they had been individually by themselves in the thickest desert. Or, I believe rather, that they thought nothing about any but themselves and their own states, and so were everyone praying apart, although altogether it seemed to me there was now an exact fulfillment of that prophecy, Zechariah 12 10, 11, 12 for there was now a great mourning, like the mourning of Hadad Ruman. And each seemed to mourn apart. Methought this had a near resemblance to the day of God's power mentioned Joshua 10:14. for I must say, I never saw any day like it in all respects it was a day wherein I am persuaded the Lord did much to destroy the kingdom of darkness among this people. This concern in general was most rational and just, those who had been awake in any considerable time, complained more especially of the badness of their hearts. And those newly awakened of the badness of their lives and actions passed and all were afraid of the anger of God, and of everlasting misery as the desert of their sins. Some of the white people, who came out of curiosity to hear what this babbler would say to the poor ignorant Indians, were much awakened, and some appeared to be wounded with the view of their perishing state. 
those who had lately obtained relief, were filled with comfort at this season. They appeared calm and composed, and seemed to rejoice in Christ Jesus. And some of them took their distressed friends by the hand, telling them of the goodness of Christ, and the comfort that is to be enjoyed in Him, and thence invited them to come and give up their hearts to Him. And I could observe some of them in the most honest and unaffected manner, without any design of being taken notice of, lifting up their eyes to heaven, as if crying for mercy, while they saw the distress of the poor souls around them. There was one remarkable instance of awakening this day, that I cannot but take particular notice of here. A young Indian woman, who I believe never knew before she had a soul, nor ever thought of any such thing, hearing that there was something strange among the Indians, came it seems to see what was the matter in her way to the Indians she called at my lodgings, and when I told her I designed presently to preach to the Indians, laughed and seemed to mock. But went however to them. I had not proceeded far in my public discourse before she felt effectually that she had a soul. And before I had concluded my discourse, was so convinced of her sin and misery, and so distressed with concern for her soul's salvation, that she seemed like one pierced through with a dart, and cried out incessantly. She could neither go nor stand, nor sit on her seat without being held up. After public service was over, she lay flat on the ground praying earnestly, and would take no notice of, nor give any answer to, any that spoke to her. I hearken to know what she said, and perceive the burden of her prayer to be, that is have mercy on me, and help me to give you my heart. And thus she continued praying incessantly for many hours together. This was indeed a surprising day of God's power, and seemed enough to convince an atheist of the truth, importance, and power of God's word. August 9th. Spent almost the whole day with the Indians, the former part of it in discoursing to many of them privately, and especially to some who had lately received comfort, and endeavoring to inquire into the ground of it, as well as to give them some proper instructions, cautions, and directions. In the afternoon discourse to them publicly. There were now present about seventy persons, old and young. I opened and applied the parable of the sore, Matthew 13 was enabled to discourse with much plainness, and found afterwards that this discourse was very instructive to them. There were many tears among them while I was discoursing publicly, but no considerable cry yet some were much affected with a few words spoken from Matthew 11:28. Come unto me, all ye that labor, etc. with which I concluded my discourse. But while I was discoursing near night to two or three of the awakened persons, a divine influence seemed to attend what was spoken to them in a powerful manner, which caused the persons to cry out in anguish of soul, although I spoke not a word of terror. But, on the contrary, set before them the fullness and all-sufficiency of Christ's merits, and his willingness to save all that came to him. And thereupon pressed them to come without delay. The cry of these was soon heard by others, who, though scattered before, immediately gathered round. I then proceeded in the same strain of gospel invitation, till they were all melted into tears and cries, except two or three, and seemed in the greatest distress to find and secure an interest in the great Redeemer. Some who had but little more than a ruffle made in their passions the day before, seemed now to be deeply affected and wounded at heart and the concern in general appeared near as prevalent as it was the day before. There was indeed a very great mourning among them, and yet everyone seemed to mourn apart for so great was their concern, 
that almost everyone was praying and crying for himself, as if none had been near. Guttam Alkalam, Guttam Alkalam, that is have mercy upon me, have mercy upon me, was the common cry. It was very affecting to see the poor Indians, who the other day were hallooing and yelling in their idolatrous feasts and drunken frolics, now crying to God with such importunity for an interest in this dear son. Found two or three persons, who, I had reason to hope, had taken comfort upon good grounds since the evening before and these, with others that had obtained comfort, were together, and seemed to rejoice much that God was carrying on his work with such power upon others. August 10th. Rode to the Indians, and began to discourse more privately to those who had obtained comfort and satisfaction. Endeavoring to instruct, direct, caution, and comfort them. But others being eager of hearing every word that related to spiritual concerns, soon came together one after another. And when I had discoursed to the young converts more than half an hour, they seemed much melted with divine things, and earnestly desirous to be with Christ. I told them of the godly soul's perfect purity and full enjoyment of Christ, immediately upon its separation from the body. And that it would be forever inconceivably more happy than they had ever been for any short space of time, when Christ seemed near to them in prayer or other duties. And that I might make way for speaking of the resurrection of the body, and thence of the complete blessedness of the man, I said, but perhaps some of you will say, I love my body as well as my soul and I cannot bear to think that my body should lie dead if my soul is happy. To which they all cheerfully replied, Mudo, Mudo, before I had opportunity to prosecute what I designed respecting the resurrection, no, no. They did not regard their bodies, if their souls might but be with Christ. Then they appeared willing to be absent from the body that they might be present with the Lord. When I had spent some time with these, I turned to the other Indians, and spoke to them from Luke 19.10. For the Son of Man is come to seek, etc. I had not discoursed long before their concern rose to a great degree, and the house was filled with cries and groans. And when I insisted on the compassion and care of the Lord Jesus Christ for those that were lost, who thought themselves undone, and could find no way of escape, this melted them down the more, and aggravated their distress, that they could not find and come to so kind a Savior. Sundry persons who before had been but slightly awakened, were now deeply wounded with the sense of their sin and misery. And one man in particular, who was never before awakened, was now made to feel that the word of the Lord was quick and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword. He seemed to be pierced at heart with distress, and his concern appeared most rational and scriptural for he said, all the wickedness of his past life was brought fresh to his remembrance and he saw all the vile actions he had done formerly as if done but yesterday. Found one that had newly received comfort, after pressing distress from day to day. Could not but rejoice and admire divine goodness in what appeared this day. There seems to be some good done by every discourse. Some newly awaken every day, amid some comforted. It was refreshing to observe the conduct of those that had obtained comfort, while others were distressed with fear and concern that is, lifting up their hearts to God for them. Lord's Day, August 11th. Discoursed in the forenoon from the parable of the prodigal son, Luke 15 observed no such remarkable effect of the word upon the assembly as in days past. There were numbers of careless spectators of the white people. Some Quakers, 
and others in the afternoon I discoursed upon a part of St. Peter's sermon, Acts 2 and at the close of my discourse to the Indians, made an address to the white people, and divine truth seemed then to be attended with power both to English and Indians. Several of the white heathen were awakened, and could not longer be idle spectators, but found they had souls to save or lose as well as the Indians. And a great concern spread through the whole assembly. So that this also appeared to be a day of God's power, especially towards the conclusion of it, although the influence attending the word seems scarce so powerful now as in some days past. The number of the Indians, old and young, was now upwards of seventy, and one or two were newly awakened this day, who never had appeared to be moved with concern for their souls before. Those who had obtained relief and comfort, and had given hopeful evidences of having passed a saving change, appeared humble amid devout, and behaved in an agreeable and Christian-like manner. I was refreshed to see the tenderness of conscience manifest in some of them, one instance of which I cannot but notice. Perceiving one of them very sorrowful in the morning, I inquired into the cause of her sorrow, and found the difficulty was, she had been angry with her child the evening before, and was now exercised with fears lest her anger had been inordinate and sinful, which so grieved her, that she waked and began to sob before daylight, and continued weeping for several hours together. August 14th. Spent the day with the Indians. There was one of them who had some time since put away his wife, as is common among them, and taken another woman, and being now brought under some serious impressions, was much concerned about that affair in particular, and seemed fully convinced of the wickedness of that practice and earnestly desirous to know what God would have him do in his present circumstances. When the law of God respecting marriage had been opened to them, and the cause of his leaving his wife inquired into, and when it appeared she had given him no just occasion by unchastity to desert her, and that she was willing to forgive his past misconduct, and to live peaceably with him for the future, and that she moreover insisted on it as her right to enjoy him. He was then told, that it was his indispensable duty to renounce the woman he had last taken, and receive the other who was his proper wife, and live peaceably with her during life. With this he readily and cheerfully complied, and thereupon publicly renounced the woman he had last taken, and publicly promised to live with and be kind to his wife during life, she also promising the same to him. And here appeared a clear demonstration of the power of God's word upon their hearts. I suppose a few weeks before, the whole world could not have persuaded this man to a compliance with Christian rules in this affair. I was not without fears, lest this proceeding might be like putting new wine into old bottles, and that some might be prejudiced against Christianity, when they saw the demands made by it. But the main being much concerned about the matter, the determination of it could be deferred no longer, and it seemed to have a good, rather than an ill, effect among the Indians, who generally owned that the laws of Christ were good and right respecting the affairs of marriage in the afternoon I preached to them from the Apostles' Discourse to Cornelius, Acts 10.34, etc. There appeared some affectionate concern among them, though not equal to what appeared in several of the former days. They still attended and heard as for their lives, and the Lord's work seemed still to be promoted, and propagated among them. August 15th. Preached from Luke 4.16-21 and he came to Nazareth, etc. The word was attended with power upon the hearts of the hearers. There was much concern, many tears, and affecting cries among them, and some in a special manner were deeply wounded and distressed for their souls. 
There were some newly awakened who came but this week, and convictions seemed to be promoted in others. Those who had received comfort, were likewise refreshed and strengthened, and the work of grace appeared to advance in all respects. The passions of the congregation in general were not so much moved, as in some days past, but their hearts seemed as solemnly and deeply affected with divine truths as ever, at least in many instances, although the concern did not seem to be so universal, and to reach every individual in such a manner as it had appeared to do some days before. August 16th spent a considerable time in conversing privately with sundry of the Indians. Found one that had got relief and comfort, after pressing concern, and could not but hope, when I came to discourse particularly with her, that her comfort was of the right kind. In the afternoon, I preached to them from John 6:26-34. Toward the close of my discourse, divine truths were attended with considerable power upon the audience, and more especially after public service was over, when I particularly addressed sundry distressed persons. There was a great concern for their souls spread pretty generally among them. But especially there were two persons newly awakened to a sense of their sin and misery, one of whom was lately come, and the other had all along been very attentive, and desirous of being awakened, but could never before have any lively view of her perishing state. But now her concern and spiritual distress was such, that, I thought, I had never seen any more pressing. Sundry old men were also in distress for their souls, so that they could not refrain from weeping and crying out aloud, and their bitter groans were the most convincing, as well as affecting, evidence of the reality and depth of their inward anguish. God is powerfully at work among them. True and genuine convictions of sin are daily promoted in many instances, and some are newly awakened from time to time, although some few, who felt a commotion in their passions in days past, seem now to discover that their hearts were never duly affected. I never saw the work of God appear so independent of means as at this time. I discoursed to the people, and spoke what, I suppose, had a proper tendency to promote convictions. But God's manner of working upon them appeared so entirely supernatural, and above means, that I could scarce believe he used me as an instrument, or what I spake as means of carrying on his work. For it seemed, as I thought, to have no connection with, nor dependence upon, means in any respect. And although I could not but continue to use the means which I thought proper for the promotion of the work, yet God seemed, as I apprehended, to work entirely without them. I seemed to do nothing, and indeed to have nothing to do, but to stand still and see the salvation of God. And found myself obliged and delighted to say, Not unto us, not unto instruments and means, but to thy name be glory. God appeared to work entirely alone, and I saw no room to attribute any part of this work to any created arm. August 17th. Spent much time in private conferences with the Indians. Found one who had newly obtained relief and comfort, after a long season of spiritual trouble and distress he having been one of my hearers in the forks of Delaware for more than a year and now followed me here under deep concern for his soul and had abundant reason to hope that his comfort was well grounded, and truly divine. Afterwards discoursed publicly from Acts 8:29-39 and took occasion to treat concerning baptism, in order to their being instructed and prepared to partake of that ordinance. They were yet hungry and thirsty for the word of God, and appeared unwearied in their attendance upon it. Lord's Day, August 18th preached in the forenoon to an assembly of white people, 
made up of Presbyterians, Baptists, Quakers, etc. Afterwards preached to the Indians from John 6.35-40. He that eateth my flesh, etc. There was considerable concern visible among them, though not equal to what has frequently appeared of late. August 19th. Preached from Isaiah 55.1. Ho, everyone that thirsteth, etc. Divine truths were attended with power upon those who had received comfort, and others also. The former were sweetly melted and refreshed with divine invitations, the latter much concerned for their souls, that they might obtain an interest in these glorious gospel provisions that were set before them. There were numbers of poor impotent souls that waited at the pool for healing, and the angel seemed, as at other times of late, to trouble the waters. So that there was yet a most desirable and comfortable prospect of the spiritual recovery of diseased, perishing sinners. August 23rd. Spent some time with the Indians in private discourse. Afterwards preached to them from John 644-50. No man can come to me, except, etc. There was, as has been usual, a great attention and some affection among them. Several appeared deeply concerned for their souls, and could not but express their inward anguish by tears and cries. But the amazing divine influence that has been so powerfully among them in general, seems, at present, in some degree abated, at least in regard of its universality, though many who have got no special comfort, still retain deep impressions of divine things. August 24th spent the forenoon in discoursing to some of the Indians, in order to their receiving the ordinance of baptism. When I had opened the nature of the ordinance, the obligations attending it, the duty of devoting ourselves to God in it, and the privilege of being in covenant with Him, sundry of them seemed to be filled with love to God, and delighted with the thoughts of giving up themselves to Him in that solemn and public manner, melted and refreshed with the hopes of enjoying the blessed Redeemer. Afterwards I discoursed publicly from 1 Thessalonians 4.13-17. But I would not have you be ignorant, etc. There was a solemn attention, and some visible concern and affection in the time of public service, which was afterwards increased by some further exhortation given them to come to Christ, and give up their hearts to Him, that they might be fitted to ascend up and meet Him in the air, when He shall descend with a shout, and time voice of the archangel. There were several Indians newly come, who thought their state good, and themselves happy, because they had sometimes lived with the white people under gospel light, had learned to read, were civil, etc. Although they appeared utter strangers to their own hearts, and altogether unacquainted with the power of religion, as well as with the doctrine of grace. With those I discoursed particularly after public worship, and was surprised to see their self-righteous disposition, their strong attachment to the covenant of works for salvation and the high value they put upon their supposed attainments. Yet after much discourse, one appeared in a measure convinced, that by the deeds of the law no flesh living can be justified, and wept bitterly, inquiring, what he must do to be saved. This was very comfortable to others, who had gained some experimental acquaintance with their own hearts. For before they were grieved with the conversation and conduct of these new corners, who boasted of their knowledge, and thought well of themselves, but evidently discovered to those that had any experience of divine truths, that they knew nothing of their own hearts. Lord's Day, August 25th. Preached in the forenoon from Luke 15 3-7. There being a multitude of white people present, I made an address to them, 
at the close of my discourse to the Indians but could not so much as keep them orderly. For scores of them kept walking and gazing about, and behaved more indecently than any Indians I ever addressed. And a view of their abusive conduct so sunk my spirits, that I could scarce go on with my work. In the afternoon discoursed from Rev. 3.20 at which time the Indians behaved seriously, though many others were vain. Afterwards baptized twenty-five persons of the Indians, fifteen adults, and ten children. Most of the adults I have comfortable reason to hope are renewed persons. And there was not one of them but what I entertained some hopes of in that respect, though the case of two or three of them appeared more doubtful. After the crowd of spectators was gone, I called the baptized persons together, and discoursed to them in particular, at the same time inviting others to attend. I minded them of the solemn obligations they were now under to live to God, warned them of the evil and dreadful consequences of careless living, especially after this public profession of Christianity. Gave them directions for their future conduct, and encouraged them to watchfulness and devotion, by setting before them the comfort and happy conclusion of a religious life. This was a desirable and sweet season indeed. Their hearts were engaged and cheerful in duty, and they rejoiced that they had in a public and solemn manner dedicated themselves to God. Love seemed to reign among them. They took each other by the hand with tenderness and affection, as if their hearts were knit together, while I was discoursing to them and all their deportment toward each other was such, that a serious spectator might justly be excited to cry out with admiration, Behold how they love one another! Sundry of the other Indians, at seeing and hearing these things, were much affected, and wept bitterly, longing to be partakers of the same joy and comfort that these discovered by their very countenances as well as conduct. Stillwater's Revival Books is now located at PuritanDownloads.com. It's your worldwide online Reformation home for the very best in free and discounted classic and contemporary Puritan and Reformed books, MP3s, and videos. For much more information on the Puritans and Reformers, including the best free and discounted classic and contemporary books, MP3s, digital downloads and videos, please visit Stillwater's Revival Books at PuritanDownloads.com. Stillwater's Revival Books also publishes the Puritan Hard Drive, the most powerful and practical Christian study tool ever produced. All thanks and glory be to the mercy, grace, and love of the Lord Jesus Christ for this remarkable and wonderful new Christian study tool. The Puritan hard drive contains over 12,500 of the best Reformation books, MP3s, and videos ever gathered onto one portable Christian study tool. An extraordinary collection of Puritan, Protestant, Calvinistic, Presbyterian, Covenanter, and Reformed Baptist resources. It's fully upgradable and it's small enough to fit in your pocket. The Puritan hard drive combines an embedded database containing many millions of records with the most amazing and extraordinary custom Christian search and research software ever created. The Puritan hard drive has been produced to assist you in the fascinating and exhilarating spiritual, intellectual, familial, ecclesiastical, and societal adventure that is living the Christian life. It has been specifically designed so that you might more faithfully know, serve, and love the Lord Jesus Christ, as well as to help you to do all you can to bring glory to His great name. If you want to love God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind, then the Puritan hard drive is for you. 
Visit PuritanDownloads.com today for much more information on the Puritan hard drive and to take advantage of all the free and discounted Reformation and Puritan books, MP3s, and videos that we offer at Stillwater's Revival Books.